Five scores! Rick Bud. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bud. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 50 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how's things? Things are okay, Mike. Uh, got the beard coming back in, you know. I just thought, uh, you know, change it up a little bit. The hair is growing out pretty long, so I had to put a ton of gel in it to, to make it look decent. The, the, the Brian Burke look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I would I would wear my tie properly. We just got to wear your tie properly. Yeah, exactly. Wear your tie properly. Well, today is folks is report card day. This is uh, the last day of school. So what we're doing is we're talking about the anyway. We, we will be going on. By the way, we do we have summer school. We have me and Squid. But for the regular <laughs> students, today's uh, summer is uh, summer starts for these kids. So report card time with our player performance. How would you rate the team performance overall for the year? Uh, well, the regular season, I mean, I think you got to give them a, probably an A for sure, uh, if not an A+. plus. I mean, they led the whole division. They, they played extremely well. Um, their goals against was excellent. Their goals for was top, top the, lead, the, lead, the division anyway. Um, so I, I'd have to say A-plus probably for the regular season for sure. And? Well. Those other seven then games? Then it's, <laughs> then it kind of switched around a little bit. <laughs> yes. I would say, you know what, I, 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 as bad as it was for them to lose in seven games, I, I think overall, I think I probably would give them a B plus because I don't think they played as bad as everybody perceives that they played just because they lost. I mean, you know, they were close games those last three games and, I don't believe that they played as poorly as everybody thinks they did in those last three games. No, yeah, that that's and that's the point. One bounce in game five, it's over. And Montreal wins one yeah. game only. And Toronto may be sitting here at having having swept Winnipeg and everybody's talking about them rolling through. That's yeah. The game of inches that everybody talks about, which brings me to my next point is I mean, one of the toughest things playing in Toronto is everything is measured against the Stanley Cup, even though they haven't won it for so long, that's all they ever measure it by. It's the goal of every team, we know that. But the constant reminder, anytime the name is brought up, the Stanley Cup, that is, has to be a burden on the player. I mean, players do not need to hear this on a daily basis. You played in an era that was very trying, not only with the issue of not winning, but some questionable management and ownership, to say the least. Were the players aware of the constant media onslaught about not winning? In your on your no, I, teams. you know what I, I think yes and no. I mean, like first of all, back you know there wasn't that many. It wasn't like today where there's like you know five or six different talk shows talk mainly about the mm-hmm. Maple Leafs and so yep. on. You know, yep. you had a couple of television stations. The the reporters would show up with the cameras and do interviews and that sort of thing. And then you had a few radio stations, but but overall uh, the coverage was not like it is today. I didn't feel the pressure, to be quite honest with you. I mean, you know, you go out, you do the best job you possibly can. And then, you know, I always looked at it as, you know, look, it starts at the top, and the guy at the top is a cheap son of a bitch, and he's doing a poor job hiring people, and he's doing a bad job. So, you know, it starts at the top, and, and yep. you know, once you get to the players, which are three layers down, then, you know, there's only so much that the players can do. Now, as a team, did you guys ever talk about this? Um, yeah, sometimes. I mean, we'd get together sometimes and, you know, it, it would come up in conversation. I don't think yeah. it was something that was constantly on our minds, Mike. It was, it was more something that would come up in a conversation as we were sitting around talking and, and you know, that might come up. But uh, I don't remember – our guys talking a whole lot about the pressure of playing in Toronto. I, I, I think it was more about what was going on in Toronto at the time and the, the leadership from the top down. I think that's what we, the discussions that we would have 
it would be more about that than it would be about the pressures of winning a Stanley Cup. Well, the sort of the last thing I have in this point where I was leading this to, and as a captain, did you ever notice maybe one of the younger players, a guy wasn't from Toronto or wasn't really aware of what was going on in Toronto, I have to pull a guy's side and just say, look, just keep playing your game, ignore what you're reading, because we know you're going through a rough time, but just just ignore it. All the time. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was constant. I mean, it was like, you know, and, and, you know, guys would be struggling and then you just say, hey, listen, why don't we go for lunch, you and I, tomorrow yep. and after practice? And, and you know, and we'd, we'd sit down. And I, I did that multiple times. And, you know, he, all he could say to the kid is like, you know, look, just go out, do your job. Don't worry about all the distractions that are going on around you and everybody else. Uh, just go and play your game and don't worry about that. Try to put it away. Unfortunately, you know, we had a lot of young guys. They couldn't, couldn't put those things away, Mike. They, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it I get you. And, yep. and it was very, very difficult for these young kids uh, to get through that, unfortunately. No, that, 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 and that's, that's the whole point of this, and we'll get into this when we start talking about some of the players. But in, in defense of those players, too, yeah, they had a bad end of the season, but drives me crazy. It is the media's appetite to remind us of how long they haven't won. Okay, it's a talking point, but let's put it in perspective. When all those cups were won, the game was different, less teams. The imbalance between a first liner and a fourth liner was dramatic. I mean, today the elite player still stands out, but the separation in a lot of cases is minimal. The game's better today. The NHL is more, most competitive professional league in North America. And that's what people have to understand. A 31, soon to be 32 team league has 25 or 26 teams in the hunt for a playoff spot every year during the schedule. And when the playoffs begin, anyone can win, which is why the game is the best. The NBA has four, maybe six teams that can win every year. Major League Baseball, 20 teams are out of the playoff race before the end of May. And the NFL is the same half. No, honestly, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Baltimore, yeah you're right. You're right. Right. Baltimore hasn't even played 60 games, and I think they're 20 games out of first place. You know, the, yeah, so the NFL, I mean, it's embarrassing. In the NFL, it's the same half dozen teams with a chance to win every year. There's no parity. So, yeah, the odd team will get a fluke and they'll go on a run and, and be the story. But that's why they are the story, because it doesn't happen so often. So, I mean, just your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, 100%. I mean, I, I think it's the most competitive league in pro sports, uh, the, the elite or the top pro sports, NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball. I, I don't think there's any question. The parity in the National Hockey League, it's never been like it is today. I mean, you got 31, like you said, 31, soon to be 32 teams, and probably 20 of those teams could win the Stanley Cup. I mean, there, that's how much parity there is in the National Hockey League today. And, and, I mean, I don't think a lot of people understand that, that, you know, there, there's other good hockey teams out there. <laughs> you know, it's like they lose to Montreal. Montreal is not a bad hockey team. I mean, they're, they're, they're not terrible. They're not unbelievable, but they're good. And that is the same with, you know, 20 other teams in the National Hockey League. No, you're, you're 100% right. And, I mean, the other thing we, we talk while well, we're talking about Montreal, we don't want to give them too much credit, but we'll give them a little bit. Lighting that CN Tower up there, Dave, is just absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe that even happened. So don't, let's not even go with that part. But they go on and on about 67. Well, let's put it all in perspective again. And, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with all this when we get into the player evaluations. It was a six-team league then. And let's face it, the Leafs and the Canadians control most of the good players out of Ontario and Quebec. Yeah on territorial rights alone. They were the only two teams in Canada. They bloody well have better been competitive every year. I mean, he's care about this rivalry with Montreal and the last time that was 40 years ago. So what? There's no rivalry. Yeah, Austin right. Matthews probably couldn't have found Montreal on a map seven years ago. Never mind knowing anything about the rivalry. <laughs> I mean, his parents are probably in diapers the last time Montreal and Toronto played. But who cares? But why do they? I mean, it's just constant. And I'm not making excuses for them because they didn't play well at the end. But you got to live with this. And you, you came from a, a hockey area in Vancouver and moved to Toronto. You saw it. None of this has anything to do with what this team is doing, this other stuff. You went through it yourself coming from Vancouver to Toronto and just all of a sudden the shock of all the, the, the interest all of a sudden this team has everywhere you went. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's no question. I mean, I, I think probably the most popular team in the world from the National Hockey League at least. And, 
I don't think anybody compares to them. I mean, like I always look at them and I go, okay, the if it was Major League Baseball, the Leafs would be the New York Yankees and Montreal would probably be the Boston Red Sox. And that would probably be the way they would go. Like Toronto being the most popular, Montreal probably second. And uh, that, that's just the way it is. And, and, you know, unfortunately you have to live with that. But um, I don't know why so much emphasis is put on – you know, the last time they won the Stanley Cup, as you said, there were six teams. They controlled all the players in the province, and so did Montreal and Quebec. They got all the French players. Uh, they didn't allow them to go anywhere else. And uh, and then it went to 12 teams. Six of them were very, very weak. And then, you know, then it started, you know, adding more and more teams. But, I mean, I don't know why that discussion still goes on to this day that, oh, they haven't won since 67. Uh, yeah, so what? You know what? I mean, exactly. it could happen any year. But, unfortunately, a lot of things have happened since 1967. And one of them is a, a horrible owner for quite a few years. Yes. You know, and then some dysfunction in between what's going on now and, and, and when Harold Ballard was there. Uh, a lot of changes, a lot of changes in management, coaches, owners, you name it. I mean, it, it, it's been an ongoing cycle for, for many, many years. Well, think about this. I mean, we've had this discussion with guys on, on the air on our podcast over the, the last year that coming to the rink. I mean, I all these stories, when they just come to the rink, I mean, you just what's it going to be today? Like, this is supposed to be mm-hmm. one of the most iconic. Toronto, by the way, was the fifth most popular team for site viewing and all this kind of stuff in the world behind four major soccer teams that yeah. this study that was done last week that just came out a couple of days ago. So this here you have this iconic franchise. You're playing for them. The gardens, all the allure of it all hits you. And then you walk in the dressing room and you're, you can't get, why can't we get in the room? Something wrong? Well, the, the owner is getting a rub down. His feet are getting rubbed by the trainers. So we can't go in yet. Like, I love that. Like, if fans only knew that this was some of the nonsense that was going on on a daily basis. And then they're, they're the first ones to be sitting in the bar throwing stuff at the screen because you guys are losing and you can't figure out why. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think people realize, you know, all the things that have gone on since 1967. And not just Harold Ballard, but a lot of other things, too. I mean, there's been so many changes in management, coaches, uh, you name it, ownership. I mean, it, it's, it's just ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. And um, But the Toronto Maple Leafs are still very, very popular. And mm-hmm. they're at the top of the National Hockey League as far as popularity uh, around the world. Yep, and that's part of what comes to the job. And some of the guys can take it and some people can't live with it. And it's just, you know, it's got to be a constant pressure to have that in your grill on a daily basis. I guess that's where I'm going with that. But we'll get into some of the players in a second. But let's here we go. We talked a little bit about this on well, our the one thing, The one thing I'll oh. say, Mike, before yep. we get into that is, and I, I know I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on one of our podcasts or not. But the bottom line is, is if you're playing in Toronto, if you don't have thick skin, you may as well just ask for a trade because yeah. you cannot play in this city of Toronto unless you have thick skin and you can let things roll off your back. Bottom line. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the example of just a baseball player. Look at Vladimir Jr., uh, Guerrero Jr. He comes into play, whatever he was, six foot. He weighed like 260 pounds, a 19-year-old kid, grossly overweight. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could bear, I, I mean, th- th- this guy probably had a trainer type his shoes. And could you imagine? And But now, look, at he's like, he lost 40 pounds. He did his job and got himself in shape. And I mean, even our. I was leading the league in everything. I was leading the league in almost every category. But my point is, could you imagine if he was a Maple Leaf looking like that? Would he have been gone through? Well, look at the Turk Broda back in there. I mean, he had the weigh-in with with uh, Con Smythe. They had the the big weight, and they have weigh-ins and put it in the paper. Could you imagine what a player out of shape would have gone through as a Maple Leaf in the same uh, scenario as we talked about uh, Guerrero, or a hockey player sitting out like this, like uh, Springer? Who they just paid 150 million for, and he heard. I mean, he. I mean, come on, he pulled a muscle in his hamstring or something running to first base. He's been out for 60 games. I mean, give me a break. Well, the funny thing is, the funny thing is, Mike, is I've I've seen that. You know, I mean, uh, Chris Kostopoulos came to camp one year and he was way overweight. They made him ride the bike in the sauna. 
Mm-hmm. They made him, you know, Billy Durlego a couple of times in training camp, made him run up and down the escalator when it was going in the opposite direction. With a dart in his mouth. I, I saw it all. I, I saw it all. No, not not then. <laughs> I was on the bike the one time when Brof told him to go in and ride the bike, and then he both came in and he had a coffee in one hand, cigarette in the other. Brof said, if you're not going to try, you may as well leave. He goes, gets up, he goes, okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> like, what is a perfectly straight face, just, okay, see you tomorrow. Like, but, but you know the point being is these guys like that the, the, you know these guys get a cushion on these other sports but the Leafs get there's no relief or no rope given to any of them they, they just look and any chance they can pounce on you they do okay? but when you win you yeah. get it too so let's yeah, go to, uh, unfortunately it, it has to go both ways really when you're you're playing in a market like Toronto and you're the, you know one of the probably the most popular NHL team in the world it's got to go both ways you can't have right. it one way you know, so, you can't get paid big money and have it go one way only. So speaking of big money, let's talk about the big money we're making on our predictions and our evaluations here of the players. We'll we'll see if we can earn our dough here, which isn't much, folks, believe me. Um, where do you think if if you give us a Mars bars, we'd be oh, that'd be a bonus. Okay. Oh where absolutely a Mars bar we would get. Yeah. Where do you think the biggest hole in the lineup is and needs addressing immediately? Let's start there. Well, I think a little bit more, uh, and I, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, but parity throughout the lineup. I think they just need a little bit more parity from the first line to the fourth line. Mm-hmm. You know, there's such a disparity between the first and second lines and the and the fourth line. It, it's too far apart. It, it's way too far apart, and mm-hmm. they need to they close that gap a little bit so that that fourth line is good enough to go out there and play, you know, 10, 12, 14 minutes a game and, and you know, put some uh, – score some goals. I mean, you, you know, you look at other teams that win Stanley Cups or go deep into the playoffs, that's what they have. Their, front, their, their first two lines are excellent. Their, set, their third and fourth lines are pretty damn good, too. And, you know, look no further than Tampa Bay. They, they, they are – and a, a great example of a team that has it throughout their entire lineup. And so I think parity from the first to the fourth line, I think is paramount for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You can't stack everything up on one or two lines and expect to win. You've got to have that secondary uh, third and fourth lines that can go out and they can score. They can turn a game around by playing physical they, and getting in on the four check, turning pucks over. And changing the momentum of the game at some point in time when they have to. Well, that, that that's a very good point. I mean, that that you're right. And look look who beat Toronto in the playoffs is Montreal's fourth line. They did all the damage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Look at look at the line that um it, as you mentioned, Tampa. I watched that game. I went to the game the other day and watched that fourth line. And man, oh man, they were lights out. But they had Johnson on that line, who was a number two center at one point. He's playing on the fourth line and makes a difference. So you're you're uh, bang on. My thought but would have been that's what that's that's what they need to win a Stanley Cup is you mm-hmm. got you know the thing is is some guys have to take a different role in, in order to win and and that's that's the bottom line so you 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 know you take Tyler Johnson there's a good example he was a second line centerman a few years ago now he's on the fourth line why because they got better players and they're on the first line the second line he has to move down. He's accepted that, and he's gone out, and he's done an exceptional job as a fourth-line uh, centerman. So, you know, that that's what it's going to take. You're right. Uh, my thought would have been, I'll use that as one of them. The other one I would have thought of would have been in goal. Jack Campbell's solid, but is he durable enough to carry the full schedule when he gets back to 82 games next year? There's lots of goalies available, but most make more than Campbell does. So that's going to be a tough to set. And the only reason they said is you got to bring somebody in. Now, Riddich, which we'll talk to, was brought in as a backup. He's a, he's a restricted free agent, or I'm a restricted free agent, pardon me. Campbell, I think they have to make a decision on. But the point is, is that he's so endeared and revered by his teammates. It's a tough call if you take the job away from him. Yeah, I, I think he can handle it personally. I, I really do. I mean, I don't know. You know how many games he can play and and be effective, but I I believe, you know, if you get him into 55, 60 range somewhere in there, I think he can handle it. Is he going to be 
Vasilevsky or someone like that? No, of course he's not, because those guys only come around every once in a while. And those guys you have to get in the draft. So if they're going to get a Carey Price or a Vasilevsky or someone like that, it's going to have to be through the draft. It's not going to be through a trade That's or right. signing an unrestricted free agent. There's no other way to get a goalie that good than through the draft. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. And I mean, the other thing we want to address is talking about behind the bench. We've agreed on that. We've talked about it a couple of times on other shows this week. Getting some help alongside of Keith, whether it's with, uh, you know, Paul McLean moving behind the bench full time, whether it's bringing in a uh, Bruce Boudreau or Rick Talk or somebody along those lines to work with him. But there needs to be a stronger voice in presence with Keith. I think it's essential. I, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you on that, Mike. I, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I, you know, Sheldon is probably a good coach. Yes. But there's some things that there's some things that he needs to learn about the National Hockey League and, and how the game is played in the National Hockey League, how to play certain players and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. The only way you're going to get that is by learning from someone who's been there and who's done that. And so, you know, like you said, the Bruce Boudreau or Rick Tockett or put Paul McClain behind the bench, you know, it's no different than being a player. You learn from the guys that are the older players that have been around a while. Sheldon Keefe has not been a pro coach that long. So he needs someone to learn from. And, you know, who better to learn from than a guy like Tockett or a guy like Bruce Boudreau or, or even Paul McClain for that matter? No, I, I'm with you because when you think about it, he stepped in from junior hockey to the Marlies. Trip, but look at the team he had. He had a, a plethora of ace players. Yeah. And, you know, they never really challenged. I mean, it's a pretty, not an easy job to maintain all that and keep everybody active. But he didn't have to really earn it like some of these other guys, like a Cooper, somebody who came from basically working their way down and working right up. He was handed a pretty good lineup to begin mm -hmm. with. He steps into this lineup with – looking down the bench and looking at some of those players, you think, oh, my God, the embarrassment of riches here. So in fairness to him, it's, it could be a little bit overwhelming trying to manage all of that. And that's where I'm coming from, not criticizing him as a coach, but just the experience. And this is maybe where that strong voice may come in and just lend a little bit more ease to the job. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I don't think Sheldon keeps a bad coach. I think he's a good coach. And I think he could be a better coach if, like you said, they bring someone like that in to help him learn mm. a little bit more about what it's like to coach in the National Hockey League and what it's like to uh, handle NHL players, you know, on, on a regular basis, on a day-to-day -day basis. He, he hasn't doesn't have a whole lot of experience in that. Learning from someone else who does would probably help him immensely. So there's a couple of things we want to deal with on that front. The next thing issue they're going to have to deal with, and we'll get into it a little more when we get into the players, but the blue line with Riley up next year. It's going to have to be addressed sooner than later. You want to go run through the year without having him signed or unsigned and what you're going to do with them. The bottom six also uh, on top of Riley, a solid third end I think is also a must, but that's to your point that we've got to, it, you know, level off that imbalance between the top two lines and the bottom mm -hmm. two lines. So it all starts right there, I would say. So one more thing before we get to the player squid, give the listeners an idea of some of the things players go through when traded. I mean, it can be anything from just finding a place to live, schools, adapting to new teammates, selling your old place. But it's it's a little bit more challenging than people may give thought to. Well, it certainly was in my day, I can tell you that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, you know, you get traded in, when I did in 1980 and 87, you leave right away. You're gone. Your wife is left to sell the house, get the moving company, and do all those things on her own. And sometimes with a couple of kids, that's not easy. I mean, that, that's a very difficult thing to do. So you got to give them a lot of credit for being able to do that back in our day anyway. Now it's a, quite a bit different. But back in our day too, we had some wonderful people in the league, players, their wives. So when you got traded and your wife would finally get to the city when you got traded, which could be two months, could be three months, then you had people that would help her find the schools and where to go and where to shop and all that kind of stuff. I remember going to Buffalo. We had Mike Felino and his wife helped uh, Joyce out immensely in Buffalo, finding everything and, you know, helping her out 
I mean, you know, we had help everywhere we went. And uh, went to Chicago was Dennis Savard and Mona. They helped her out, you know, unbelievably. So back in those days, we had those, those people that would help you. Nowadays, you get a little bit more time to move. Like I remember, I think Ryan McDonough got traded from the Rangers to Tampa. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he, he got there for two weeks. <laughs> they said, you know, take your time. Get your family settled, get your yeah. movie, you know, whatever, and get down here whenever you can. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it's so much different now than, than it was back then. Well, well, just an example. Years ago, I was out at the AMJ Moving Warehouse. He's a big supporter of the Maple Leafs. Everybody sees the AMJ Move of the game. And he was also a big supporter of a lot of our events. So I was out there talking to him about a few things. And I see a stack of furniture on one of the big, you know, um, areas that said coffee on it. And I said, I said, I assume Paul. And he said, yeah. And I turned down another aisle and I, and I think I sent at least over the next couple, I was about a half a dozen sets of furniture with couches that all had coffee on it. And I said, Jesus, how many bloody couches does he need? And he said, he moved, <laughs> he, he, he moved around a lot, Mike. So cough was another great supporter of our events. And I know you're at a couple with them. And so I used to tease him. And the next time I saw him, I said, Holy geez, like what's all that couch? And he said, you interested in any chairs or couches, Mike? I got some for sale. So, I mean, this is the type of things that fans don't understand that when these guys are moving, your whole life starts all over again. And we seem to forget that it's just not like picking your skates up, grabbing a couple of cues, jumping in a limo and heading to the airport. It's there's yeah. a little more involved. Well, I'll give you the, I give you a great example from the best one that I can think of is when I got traded from Chicago to Buffalo. I got traded, first of all, my in-laws were in town because it was Christmas holidays. I got traded the day after Christmas. Yep. I was supposed to play in Buffalo that night, so I had to catch a one o'clock flight. Didn't get in in time for the game because it was a big snowstorm. So my wife was left there. She, her in-laws are there. She's pregnant. We have a two-year-old, and I got to go to Buffalo right away. I don't see them until February 4th was the next time I saw them. And that was during the All-Star. Our All-Star game was always on a Tuesday. And I think we played in L.A. on a Saturday or a Sunday. I took the red eye to Chicago. We finished loading up the truck. And then off we went to Buffalo. And uh, that was February 4th. And uh, then we had to rent a house because the house that I had bought was not completed yet. It wouldn't be completed until May. And, uh, you know, so those are the things that we went through back in that day, those days. And, and, uh, a lot of it was left up to the wife. And uh, like I said, sometimes, you know, two, three, four kids. I mean, that's not easy, man. <laughs> not not easy at all. Well, I mean, another thing the listeners may be sure with listeners, when you are summoned to the mountain, you've touched on this slightly and informed you're moving on. How does the conversation go? Is it you've been traded X, take this number, he's expecting your call and that's it and get out of the office? Remember, Ross Courtnell told us that I, he, you know, Gordy Stella told him he was moving on, said, here, write this number down. He, and he's, I don't have a pen. He didn't, he had grabbed a little scrap of a chocolate bar piece of paper and boiled a pen off Stellick and writes down Serge Savard's number. Then he was shaking so hard he couldn't dial the numbers when he phoned Savard and, you know, Stellick had to help him. But is that kind of how it all That's the way down? it was. That's the way it was. I mean, uh, you know, like I remember Mike Keenan calling me into his office and, uh, it was during our morning skate and I was called off the ice when it went down, but he made it sound like he was doing me a favor. <laughs> and he said, we're trading you to Buffalo. And he said, I know you want to be near Toronto for the end of your career. And I said, well, why do you think that Mike? Because I'm, I said, I'm not from Toronto. I played there. Yeah. But I'm not from there. Well, you know, I thought you'd like to be, and I said, Hey, well, don't even go any further than that. I said, the only favor you're doing me is getting me the hell out of here. And I might have a, a better chance of playing in Buffalo than I do here. So thank you very much. And I said something else to him, which I won't repeat. Yeah, we got it. Left. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next, that was going to be my next question. Squid. Any of you hear of any heated conversations between new players after they've been told they've been traded? I mean, I can tell you a couple of beauties from parents of minor teams. Ryan played on after their son was cut. And I'm sure you've got a few from Justin's days of oh. minor hockey as well. You know, those things are ridiculous. I mean, when the parents get involved, especially when they're, you know, teenage kids playing, my, uh, well, basically AAA hockey, and, mm. and they're playing for organizations that, that uh, cost money to buy, like the Marlies and the, 
the young Nats and the Canadians yeah. and, and those type of teams. So uh, there's a lot of crap. I remember when I coached the young Nats minor midget team one year, and I had Sagan and Skinner on that team. Yeah. And Oleksiak was on that team as well. Jeez. And, I mean, the parents – I mean, there was about – like, we had 15 kids. There was probably six – Parents that never said a word, just, you know, they were happy, their kid was playing and, and so on. Six that were never happy, no matter what was going on. <laughs> yeah. And then the rest of them kind of were, went one way or the other, depending on what was going on with their kids' ice time and that sort of thing. So you're, you're never going to keep everybody happy in those situations. Well, that's the way it goes. But, and, you just, and the NHL, any, any memorable conversations or heated conversations between the GM and a player or who's been informed he's been traded you can think of? You had one with Keenan, obviously, but uh, anybody else? You'd... Yeah, no, that's the only one that I, I'm aware of. I mean, I don't remember anybody else, you know, having any big blow-ups with the GM or anything. I just remember mine with Keenan, and I wasn't very happy about it, first of all. I mean, I, you know, I, I was happy that I was traded to Buffalo because it was going to give me a chance to play which I wasn't getting in Chicago. I was yeah. only playing mainly power play. Uh, but other than that, I just I, I basically told Mike Keenan how I felt. Yes. And you get the idea, Scrooge. And then and then I just walked right out of the office and I was gone. Well, Scott, I think speaking of parents and unhappy parents, I think it's time. They're all very anxious. They're sitting there waiting. They're fidgeting. They're twirling their knuckles and <laughs> their pens and all that sort of stuff and shaking their coffee. So I think it's time we give the report cards to the kids. So let's start off with goalies. Frederick Anderson, unrestricted free agent, 31 years old. I'll start off. His time, I think, has come perform admirably, but he and the team need to change. He's a good goalie, but he just can't elevate his game to the next level with this team. It's a tough place to play, as we've just touched on. His confidence can van your confidence can vanish in a flash, and I'm afraid a lack of that crept into Freddie's game. He seemed to be fighting the puck, puck most nights. He needs a change. Yeah, all I can say about Freddie is uh, I, I think he's a great individual, a great person. Yes. He's a good goalie. It's time to move on. And, and that's all we can say. That's just one of those yeah. things that happens in the league. And it happens every day of the week, and it's, it, this is nothing new. Jack Campbell, we gave him an A. He's got another year at 1.6. He stepped up extremely well. The team believed in him as we went through. We just talked about all that. Played well in the playoffs, lots of confidence, very endeared by his teammates. But you better be very careful who you bring in behind him, where you bring with him, because, again, as you know, you experience a team chemistry can be very dangerous if you temper with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I don't – know what's going to happen who's going to be the backup or who they're going to bring in or are they going to have wall as a as a backup which mm -hmm. i think to me that would be the, the the smart thing to do because you're not putting pressure on campbell that okay this guy can take your job at any moment if you start to you know fail so that gives him a little bit more confidence knowing that it's a young kid behind him and i i think he would perform better under that situation I'm really interested to see how good this wall kid is. I mean, he was great in college. He was great with the U.S. Uh, National Junior Team and the, and the U.S. program. So I'm just shocked that they didn't give him a, a shot this year a couple of times when se several goalies were hurt. But, you know, we're I, eventually I guess we're going to see what it, if he's good enough to play in the National Hockey League. All right, that's a good point. You've brought him up a few times. He's a restricted free agent. They're very high on him, as you know, because they played him a lot with the Marlins this year. They've invested in him in the last couple of years. I think he deserves a shot to earn a number two spot. Without even a question, he's got to get a shot. Um, I totally agree. I mean, give him, give him a few exhibition games, get him in, you know, even throw him into a few regular season games early in the season, see how he, he you know, handles all that. Go with, with Jack Campbell. You know, play him 55 this for 60 games. If Wall can handle the backup position and come in and play 20, 25 games, yeah, and get it get the job done, well then, you know, there's a perfect scenario. That's exactly right. Michael Hutchinson, he's still in the roster. Good depth insurance at best, but he probably gets exposed to Seattle, to be my bet. David Riddick? Yeah. I would well, I mean, if if 
if they're smart, that's who they would leave yeah. unprotected. I, I mean, they're they're gonna, yeah, I, I, that's, that's I think catches unless it gets claimed, he, he'll be hanging around. He's good depth and he'll be with the Marlies. David Riddick is unrestricted yeah. free agent, 29, makes 2.7 million last year. He's looking for a raise. He's never really given a chance. You say, you know what you say? Bye bye. Okay. <laughs> I'm yep. sorry, but That's there's no room for you here, David. And, you know, we brought you in as a little insurance at the end of the year. But, unfortunately, yep. we don't have room for you. Fair enough. Not, uh, not, at your, not at your price tag, anyway. No, that's right. And you'd be making more no. than Campbell. You can't do that. So, um, no, this one, no, I'm not a chance. Butcher. Well, this is the young Finnish kid they got also. So, let's not forget about him. I'm not going to butcher his name here. Vini Vihavillian. Don't know what we have with him because we haven't seen him play. But death yeah. roll at the Marlies, it seems that he's destined would be logical. Ian Scott is still there. He didn't get, I think, got him one game this year. But I would suggest he's probably headed for Marlies at the best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you got to start him there, uh, give him some some games. I mean, and, and that one thing people I don't think realize is how good the American Hockey League is. Mm-hmm. And if you're a good goalie, you're going to succeed in the American Hockey League. And if you're that good in the American Hockey League, you're going to be able to play in the National League. So they got to see what he can do in the American League first. I think that's the first step. So barring all of that, we now moved on to the defenseman that we don't bring somebody else in. Zach Bogosian, I gave him a B plus. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's 31 years old. He made a million bucks last year. I think he did his job. Great value. Bring him back for depth alone. I agree, but you got to give him another number. You can't work 22. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll get Shani on the phone right after this one. <laughs> TJ Brody, an A-plus, I think an A-plus right across. He's got three more years at $5 million. Terrific acquisition. Steadied the D. Calming influence. Was a big impact on Morgan Riley's game. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I love the way he plays. I, I, he's steady. He doesn't you know, make big mistakes. He just goes out and he does his job. And that's, you know, that's what I like about him. He doesn't, there's no fanfare with this, this guy, TJ Brody, just a quiet, uh, stay at home, good, solid defenseman. This one I left, I left the footnotes. So you couldn't see it. So I could get your reaction. Travis Dermott, a game of C plus all around. He's a restricted free agent, made less than a million bucks, 874,000. He's 24. He's a modern-day version of Todd Gill, your old buddy Giller. Takes a number of years to mature, looks to be headed to be a number five or six solid D-man. He's affordable, so he's worth the investment if they don't lose it. Well, they can't lose him because he's a restricted free agent. He's a possible trade ship, but one knock, he's seen the flat line this season a little bit, but I think it was more to do with trying to stay in the lineup and not being given that confidence to play a little bit and excel his game. But other than that, I think Bogosian is a common influence on him. But I, I think you got to stick with them. Yeah, I mean, well, unfortunately, they, they're probably not going to have a whole lot of choices. Uh, they're going to have to stick with some well, of these guys. And, that's correct. You know, either that or you find a trade partner that you get back a similar type player, hoping that perhaps he can come in and, you know, be a little bit better. I mean, and, you know, Travis gets a, a fresh start somewhere else. I, I'm, I'm not sure what you do, but. Unfortunately, they're they're in a position where they're going to have to keep most of their defense, the ones that aren't unrestricted. And you know, you got to also look at Bergosian. I mean, yeah, you bring him back, but there's going to be other teams that are going to be looking to, to sign him as well, and teams that have cap space mm. that are willing to give him maybe a little bit more money. I agree, hundred percent. And that brings us up to this next problem, which could be an exposure in the Seattle draft with Justin Hall who was a B during the regular yeah. season, in my view, and a C in the playoffs. We got him for $2 million a year for the next two more years. He made big advancements year over year during the regular season. His confidence is growing. He's jumping into play terrifically. But postseason, you seem to take a step back. Seem to panic with the puck a little more. Hurrying his passes a little. Getting caught up the ice. All traits he was growing out of from three seasons ago. So I was a little surprised at that. But I think if the coaches analyze a little closer in the game, Phil, I think it's a coachable moment for him that he was trying to do too much 
and he just played within himself, like you always say in, uh, in, in sports. I think he can round into that type of player that he was molded to be or molding to be, but he could be exposed in the draft, unfortunately, with being able to only protect three defensemen. Well, and that's the sad part about this draft coming up is that he could legitimately get picked up by Seattle because he was really coming into his own and, and he was settling down, playing some good hockey this regular season. And like, you're, you're right. But I can say that about a few other guys on the Toronto Maple Leafs during the playoffs. That Montreal right, exactly. put a lot no of pressure yeah. on, you know, they put a lot of pressure on their V. No and, question. You know, with your forwards all up in the neutral zone, you know, sometimes as a defenseman, you're looking around and you're going, who the hell do I give the puck to? There's nobody around, you know? And I think that's what happened to Hall and a couple of other defensemen on that team during the playoffs was they had no outlets and, and uh, it was very, very difficult on them, especially a young guy like Hall. Well, the next two guys, I think we, we can sort of skip over a little bit. Jake Muzzin, three more years of 5.6, solid D, gives Leafs everything they need, physicality, moves the puck well, joins the rush well. He's just susceptible to injuries. That's the only concern. That's why you want to have that extra D just in case. And Morgan Riley, very cheap at $5 million. He's got one year left, as we all know. Terrific regular season. He's even better in the postseason. He's rounded in the top 40 in the league. Toronto's find, got to find a way to keep him. If they can, they got to make a move. And we all know that. Well, that's – I mean, there's uh, the million-dollar question or, or $10 million question, whatever the heck <laughs> number you want to throw out there is, yeah, you want to keep Morgan Riley. Obviously, he's, you know, he's your best defenseman probably at best offensive, and he's very good defensive. He, he skates extremely well. Yeah. He's, round, he's rounded himself into a very, very uh, steady defenseman. And, you know, but, again, you know, his contract's up at the end of the, yeah. the season and next season. What's he going to want? Is he going to want $8 million? Is he going to want $9 million? Probably. And can you afford that? So maybe that's something that you look at during the season that maybe maybe you have to move them and get a, a back a piece that's a little cheaper or younger and is not going to get paid that kind of money for a number of years. I, I don't know. I don't know where you go with that. Well, we'll get to that in our summary because that, that'll be maybe our conclusions of where they have to go moving forward from here. So we can, there's a couple of names we can throw at them. Rasmus Sandin, 894,000 entry level, got another year at this. Small sample size with him. I think he was put in an unfair situation in postseason, which, again, maybe a coaching decision that maybe experience may not have done. He looks mature enough to recover from no. Here's one for you. He reminds me of ex-New Jersey D-man Brian Rafalski. Great skater. Outlet pass is good. Could eventually quarterback the power play. It should have been Raleigh in the playoffs. Another, I think, bit of an error. Jumps into the play extremely well. I say he's a keeper. Good, but you got to work with him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he, he he needs a lot of work. There's no question, but he's young, and you know you got to give him an opportunity to develop and and to mature. You know, I mean, you're looking at a a, a teenager. I mean, well, he's 20, I think now. Yeah. But, I mean, basically a teenager, and those guys, you know, they need to be they need to mature. They need to mature on the ice, off the ice. Yeah. I think he's a keeper myself personally. I think he. You know, I think there's a day that will come in a year or two where you might say that he's the least best defenseman. Well, you're right. And uh, and that, that and defensemen take longer to mature, as you know. Lilligren's yeah. another example right behind him. Small sample size, but his age is on his side. He, he's been making small strides, but he seems to flatline every now and then. There's a word we've been using a lot today. But he's a project, I think, worth investing in for a few more years. No time to give up on him now, I would say. Well, yeah, you invest in him if you're if you're keeping him around the salary that he's at now, and right. you don't go any higher. I mean, you know, he's going to be up and down. He's going to be with the Marlies. He's going to, you know, I I think he needs to play personally. I think the more games he can play in the American Hockey League, mm -hmm. and then you know when he's ready, you get him into the National League. But then you got to you got to nurture him too. Like again, like if you're the coach of this team, you got to bring him in and put him in situations to succeed. Not to exactly. And, you know, that's very, very important. Same thing with Sandine. Same thing if they keep Dermot. Those guys need to succeed. They can't, they can't put them in the situations where they're going to fail because if they do, 
then they're just going to lose all their confidence and they won't be able to play, period. Well, the next couple of guys, Ben Hutton, no real chance. I see he gets a PTO and bring him back. Let's see what he has. Mark Marinson, I would have said a depth player for the Martyrs, but I just see he signed today with the Czech League, so he'll be gone. Callie Rosen, probably a Marley. There's a number of additionals that they picked up throughout the year, a couple of uh, um, KHL players, uh, a couple that are restricted free agents, uh, Drazik and Nozin, uh, Ribbons, all these guys. They'll probably all be given a shot at camp, but there's nothing really there unless there's a major change. So stepping into the forwards, the first one's pretty easy. Austin Matthews, I gave him an A-plus during the regular season, a B-plus in the playoffs. Generational players showed it all with lots of upside in the regular season, obviously. Postseason, the pucks didn't go in, but not due to the effort. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no – what more can you say? I mean, it's an A-plus for me in the regular season. I give him an A in the, in, in the playoffs. Yeah. It's not an A-plus. I thought he played very well. He played physical. He was in on the forecheck, turning pucks over, had lots of scoring opportunities. The puck just wasn't going in. Didn't go in. It's simple. And, you know, and you got a guy like Carey Price who's stopping him on those great chances that he had. But I wouldn't say that he played any differently. He played extremely well in the playoffs. The production was not there. That was a big difference. That's why he lost half a point for me because the goals didn't go in. And normally with him, he's a goal scorer. The elite players learn to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. He slowly is doing that. And when he gets that in his game, he will definitely be a force. The next guy is going to be the lightning rod for it all. And no, it's not It's not Nylander yet. Mitch Marner, an A during the season, a game of C in the playoffs. This guy, this is going to be the talk of the whole offseason. Another one who dazzled during the season with breathtaking play. Postseason, we all know he's a bit tentative, looked like he was bracing to get hit, hung on to the puck too long. With 30 playoff games, a player this level should not be playing like that. He hasn't been able to bring it, separate it, all those type of things. This is going to be management's toughest call with him. And here's a kid who's a great kid, wonderful teammate, loves to wear the sweater with pride. But I think he falls under that what we talked about in the opening, this is what I was setting up for was him. Because I think he wears that pressure of playing for this team that hasn't won for so long. And when he gets into the playoffs, it just ramps up even more. I think it affected his game in the last five years. Because where else would it go? I know the, mm -hmm. the intensity level ramps up. But the pressure on this kid to perform, I think, just got to him. Yeah, I mean – through no fault of his it own. Did, probably, it probably did because he didn't look like the same player that we saw during the regular no. season. There's no question. And during the regular season, you're right. I mean, he was an A. He was a, what was he, fourth in the league in scoring I mean, in the regular season. But, again, those are things that you have to look at if you're the management and you have to say to yourself, you know, like, okay, he's a great player during the regular season, but he's been a big failure for us in the playoffs over the past four or five seasons. Do we keep him? Do we move him? What do we do with him? Or do we we kind of bring in someone with a little more experience to maybe help him get through those problems that he's dealing with when it comes playoff time? And maybe, you know, a, a more experienced coach being brought in could maybe help him get over that hump. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's possible because I think if you if you if you can't handle it and the pressure gets to you to the point where you're not performing uh, the way you should be, like I'm sorry, that's not going to change. I don't think. Well, here's the thing: this is management's problem because if he's making six or six point seven or six point five, we're not even having this conversation. All we do is hope that he'll grow his way no. out of this because he's too good a player. But almost $11 million, yeah. that's tying up too much money, especially when you got you have yeah. no other money you can move around. They aren't afforded the luxury to sit and wait for him to grow into that role. So that's what makes it so much more difficult. And the next player up, Zach Hyman, who gets an AA, brings it every shift. They got to find a way to keep him. I mean, there's nothing else to be said. John Tavares, he's not going anywhere because of his contract, but he showed true grit. They got to get him proper wingers to play with. And you saw his game change when he got with Galchenyuk, who I'd like to bring back from another spot. We're getting time is becoming against us. That's why I'm rushing through this a little bit. But William Nylander, I want to get to. 
we've talked all about him. This is not a William Nylander bashing. It's just this kid. He scores goals, but he doesn't offer much else. And it's just as simple as that. His unwillingness to take a hit hurt John Tavares when he played with him until he put him with somebody stronger on the other side. Uh, no coincidence. JT starts scoring when that all happened. He's an enigma. He can score, can win games, but he won't win championships with players of this that play at that type of way he does. It's as simple as that. I agree with you 100%. I, I've never liked the way he plays in the playoffs and even in the regular season for that matter. I mean, you get a little bit more room in the regular season. There's more penalties called, so you get more power play time and your production goes up. But come playoff time, you know, when you're – spraying snow all over the place and stopping because you don't want to get hit. You you can't win. No. And that brings us to the, the, this thing there. So we asked this question earlier in our show, would you rather have Zach Hyman with 20 goals in his game or nine under 30 in his game? I mean, you know, I'd like to have both. I'd like to have five Zach Hyman. No kidding. Cause then I guess, then I could spread them out all, all over the four, the four lines, and then I think we'd be more balanced. But um, and, I, and I guess that was a word I was probably looking for a little bit earlier was more balance between the fourth and the first line, which, which they don't have. I mean, the the fourth line and the first line, there, there's so much imbalance between them. But yeah, give me five Zach Hyman's, and and uh, I think we got a better chance to win. I think Galchenyuk's earned himself a spot as a tryout again. He played B. He rounded his game in. He is a restricted, an unrestricted free agent. Pardon me. He only made a million bucks. Leafs could lose him. I, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the way he played when he came to Toronto. I mean, he's been in a number of places, and and everybody's kind of given up on him because uh, of all the things that that you know he's gone through and everything else, which is fine, but. He played well in Toronto when he was here for the most part. Um, will he get an offer somewhere else? I, I don't know. I mean, but you can't pay him more than what he's making now either. Well, that's the thing. And I think he will get offered a little bit more, which brings us to Alex Kerfoot. We loved his game. His game is actually weaker in the post in the preseason or in the, in the regular season. It wasn't the postseason. The postseason mm-hmm. is a better player. And that's the player they're looking yeah. for. So. You know, I think he gets put in the third hole next year and leave him there and let him let him earn that spot and and work with it. Raleigh Nash, we don't know what he can do. Nick Robinson, here's an opportunity for him to step up and grab it. He's on an entry-level yeah. contract. He's going to be given every opportunity because they need scoring at a cheap rate. So he goes without saying. Yeah. Simmons and Bespezza, we both discussed yesterday on our weekly show. Simmons... Maybe time to let him go. He just seemed to fade the end here. I think we bring Spezza back for another shot. Just what he brings. He's got some life left in him. A lot of that has to do with money, too. I mean, Simmons was 1.5, I believe. And yeah. Spezza was 700. Yeah. Uh, you, you bring him back because Jason played pretty good in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. Simmons, you let go because a million and a half, if you got to pay him that much, I'm sorry, but that's too much money for a guy that's doing what he's doing. Uh, on the ice. I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I, I and then coming to the Joe Thornton, they took a shot. It didn't work. Move on. Uh, a lot of their extra forwards there, but we won't know until camp comes along with some of these guys would do. The other thing to remember too, Mike, is that, you know, we don't know what the heck they have in, in, in uh, the AHL because they didn't really have a season this year. Yeah. I think they played like 30 some games, no playoffs, no nothing. So, you know, there could be a couple of diamonds in the rough sitting in the, with the Toronto Marlies that could come in and make the Toronto Maple Leafs and make them a little bit of a better team. So, you know, that that's another thing to look at is that, you know, there could be a couple of good possibilities there. Well, we've gone through the coaches and we know we've, we've agreed that, you know, Sheldon should be given a little bit of uh, experience working with him. We want to get to Brendan Shannon. We believe that We've talked about this already that, you know, he, if does he believe in Dubas's plan or not? Um, coming to Kyle Dubas, does he still believe in the blueprint working as it is? Does he have the right guy conveying the message behind the bench? All those things we talked about. But really, reality is, if you think about it, we've talked about this, and it's his money ball moment. And the other thing he should do is I think he should invite Messiah Jury to lunch and have, a, have him walk through his motivation to fire the coach of the year, which was Dwayne Casey, then trade for one of the most then trade one of the most popular players in franchise history, Demar Rosen, for a guy who played nine games the year before, Kawhi Leonard, 
And we know the rest of the story. Similar, similar story coming up now with Seth Jones having an off year, contract coming up. You've got a coach that team won the division, locked up all kinds of points. I'd suggest that he pay for that lunch sooner than later and make it a learning moment. Well, if I was him, I certainly would do that, Mike. You're absolutely right. And, you know, that, but I, I, I truly believe that Kyle 100% believes in his speed and skill mm-hmm. type of concept. And, you know, I, I mean, that's great. I mean, because, you know, fast skilled players are hard to find, but you need, you need a mixture of different types of players in order to win Stanley Cups. And, you know, you look at the teams that are still playing. Uh, a good example is the New York Islanders. You know, there's mm-hmm. Lou Lamorello goes out, gets Palmieri and Zajac. Palmieri's got seven goals, yes. and they're they're off to the third round now. Yes. You know, so, you know, there there's what a good general manager does, picks up players that are playoff-type players yeah. and inserts them into their lineup. We didn't We didn't have that. So, you know, where do you go from here? Do you change the way you think your team should be built? Uh, I, I, I certainly don't think you should go all speed and skill because you need a little bit of everything. But, I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs up front are pretty good. But, again, you got four guys that are carrying 40-some million dollars of an $81.5 million salary cap. That doesn't work. Well, it brings us to the the denominator of all of this. There's I'm showing off my math skills from school. The Rogers and Bell, <laughs> they care about eyeballs, period. We discussed this yesterday as well, too. How long do they allow this to go on? They've got some splaining to do regarding next season. I mean, the window isn't going to be open forever. It's been five years with these players, with the core group. It's three years under uh, Dubas's rule, two under this coach. Do they do an about face and disagree? The, the key is whether Calum Brennan or left us through the ship or not, or whether the plan is a go. You know, we do have to remember yeah. these guys, as I mentioned, I said before, these guys read balance sheets, not score sheets when you're dealing with the, with the suits. We're making these decisions now. So they've got to be, their patience has got to be wearing out. And, they, you know, my worry is they make a rash decision the wrong way and get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me throw something at you, Mike, because yep. over the years, when you, th- when you think back and you look back, to especially the 80s. And, okay, so it got so bad where the, the fans were throwing sweaters on the ice, wearing bags on their head. Then it got a little bit better for a little bit while. Then it got bad again. And then they started throwing sweaters on the ice, wearing bags over their head. Is that where we're headed? Think about it. I mean, Rogers and Bell are not going to be very happy if that happens. And if they don't soon start winning in the playoffs, that could easily come back into Toronto and in the fan base. And we don't want that. The players don't want that. And I'm pretty damn sure that the owners don't want that either. No, you're, that's a very good point. And remember, corporations, beer companies, do not like to be associated with losers. And teams that lose are not what you want on your resume or under your umbrella of holdings. They don't like that. And, you know, that hurts them, right? You know, they want these on screen, you know, and that that's all they yeah. care about. And that's, you know, we keep saying that, but people have to realize that. They don't care how many Mitch Marner sweaters they sell or Austin Matthews sweaters they sell if their record numbers. They couldn't care less. What they want is those guys looking no. at those sweaters through a screen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know what, I mean, this has been good to evaluate everything. And, I, you know, we don't want to make it sound like we're, you know, throwing everybody under no, the bus. Not or at all. I mean, you not know, at all. They've done a pretty, they've done a pretty good job, Mike. Overall, absolutely agree. But there's, but there's another step to take, and they got to take that step. And maybe that means trading away a high salary, very popular player for what they need in order to win in the playoffs. That 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 is a summary, and everybody is aware of that, and that's a decision that. Greater minds than us are going to have to make in the next few weeks, and they're they're having yeah, yeah. discussions right now. No, it's, and we're here not here to knock them. We're just here to evaluate and what we saw. Listen, the team is very yeah. good; they're close, but sometimes 
Close is only good in hand grenades and horseshoes. Horseshoes. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Yes, sir. And on that note, Folks, we'd like to bid you a very well day. Uh, thanks for watching us. We're on YouTube. We're on uh, 365sportscast.com, as you know. So look for us there. Uh, we're on all your favorite podcast networks. Uh, we are doing a weekly show now, Wednesday, Monday and Wednesdays at 6.30, a little 10-minute, sort of like a little grapevine type thing, only with squid and ice, squid vine. So anyway, we're doing that uh, Mondays and Wednesdays. <laughs> look for us there, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Our guest next week will be ex-Leaf Todd Warner. Thanks for watching, everyone.